0: This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin, with support from New Zealand On Air.
1: It's Creature Feature, a spotlight on one of the Wildlife Hospital Dunedin's extra special guests. And we welcome back to the awesome morning show studio, Jordana White from Wildlife Hospital Dunedin. Nice to have you with us again, Jordana. Kia ora. We're going to be talking about the Tāwaki today. Um, I wonder how many of our listeners know what a Tāwaki is.
0: They might know it better as a fjordland-crested penguin. There you go. Yeah, it's penguin season. It's summer. We have heaps of penguins in hospital. It's always nice to add a Tāwaki into the mix.
1: Not good to have them all in hospital, but great that there's plenty of them.
0: Yes, that's a good point. Um, But yeah, we do definitely have a lot of seasonality to our penguin guests, and Mm. this is it. We're right in the thick of it, Uh, mostly with hoiho. But yeah, yesterday we got in a Tāwaki, which... You know, it's a fjordland-crested penguin, so the name would suggest we don't have these penguins in Dunedin, um, and that's mostly true, but they do sometimes turn up, um, so it's not actually that unusual for us to get them in.
1: When you say penguin season, is that as far as the hospital is concerned?
0: Excellent question, and yes, the answer is yes. So uh, in this, in the summer months in particular, we have a lot of hoiho ho patients, um, but it's not that unusual for us to get um, other penguin species as well. Um, it's the critical breeding season for them. Uh, it's when they're kind of... They're busiest, uh, and that means that they're getting into strife a little bit more often, unfortunately. They're a little bit more vulnerable at this time of year.
1: Um, we've talked before about predators and the damage that they can do to penguins. Is is that the kind of thing that brings this creature to you?
0: So we have a range of things that we see tawaki for. Um, so it's starvation is a big one, predator wounds, as you say, um, We've had eye injuries, and sometimes, unfortunately, it's a combination. Uh, earlier this year, we had one that had a predator bite to its tail. So that was the obvious reason that it presented to us. But then when it was in hospital,
1: we discovered it had malaria. Bit of a double whammy for that one. Ah, now, that is not something that one expects to hear, um, do they get malaria in the same way that you or I might? But mosquitoes, yes. Yeah.
0: Yep. Mosquitoes are the vector for avian malaria. It should be very clear. I don't want to panic anybody. You won't be get, picking up this type of malaria uh, that the penguins are getting. So yes, unfortunately, and it's something that we have only more recently seen in penguins down here in Otapoti or on the South Island in general due to climate change, really. Mm. So things are getting warmer. We're getting stormier. We're having more floods. That means there's more standing water, which is where mosquitoes like to lay their eggs. Uh, It was more prevalent in the North Island previous, I would say, maybe five years and prior. Um, And unfortunately, now it's starting to uh, show itself down here. So we do often do routine tests right now. We're doing a monitoring project where we are testing all of our penguin adult penguin patients that come in um, to see if they do have malaria, just to get an understanding of how how prevalent it is out, out in the wild here.
1: You mentioned starvation as well. Can we also point to climate change uh, for that?
0: Yeah, there pr- probably. So there'll be some ocean warming issues that fit, that Tawaki are facing, and really all of our seabird species are facing. Um, so yet, yeah, kind of a change potentially to the, the fish stocks that are out there, um, changes to their foraging grounds, which might mean that they don't don't come across food as readily as readily as they used to be able to. Um, so that's that's certainly a problem. Um, the other thing too with Tawaki is, and, and many other penguin species is they do have some pretty vulnerable times naturally. So just giving give you an example, um, so Tawaki, when they have their babies, the mom and the dad both are on the nest, so they, they share that incubation and the rearing of the chicks. But the males are actually the ones that have the longest shift. So they may have actually six weeks where they're monitoring the eggs and the babies while the female is out foraging. At six weeks, where they can't go out to see, they're fasting for six weeks. So you can imagine they lose a lot of body condition at that time, um, and that it may that may account for some of the starvation cases that we see. So it could be at the, when their chicks fledge, and the male finally can take can take off again to forage for itself. That's it's already in pretty rough shape, and if it's having trouble finding food, mm. then it, it really. Yeah, that's a really tough time.
1: I mean, conventionally, they'd get themselves in really good nick before they started that stint, but that might not always be possible now either.
0: Exactly. So if they start, and it's a good point because they also have this molting period where they have have to really fatten up before that molting period. So before breeding and before molting, they are trying to fatten themselves up. So if they go into those times already not big enough, that then you have a real problem. So that we, we do the same with hoi ho, where we're checking during their molting period to see if they're fat enough, essentially. If they haven't gone into the molt fat enough, then they're going to be in real trouble by the end of it. So it's, yeah, it's, so Tawaki may be experiencing, might be some natural variation as well, with the starvation cases um but they also I should say something that is so magnificent and interesting about this particular penguin is how much of a traveler they are um the um, Tawaki project has put GPS trackers or satellite trackers on a whole bunch of Tawaki just to see where they go because nobody really knew um there's a period between when they're when they they've sent their chicks off on on their way and before they molt they go out for foraging trips to fatten up as I said and nobody really knew where they were going. And they, the satellite, I highly recommend to all of your listeners, going to Tawaki-Project.org. And you can see maps of where these, where these birds go. And it's, it's absolutely incredible. Um, so half of the birds, the first time they did this, um, half the birds went to the, to the sub-Antarctic west of Australia's Macquarie Island, which is really far away if you look at a map. Uh, and the other half were in the South Tasman Rise, which is about 800 kilometers south of Tasmania. So overall, uh, the birds were going between 4,500 and 6,500 kilometers on that foraging trip. Wow, that's a mission! Absolutely massive. Mm. So they go, they. So that's a foraging trip to get them to fatten up. But if they come into strife at that time, you know, you can imagine then they're, they're making their way back home and they're rocking up on our shores maybe in not such great condition. Um, so, yeah, most of the time, it's like I said, it's not that uncommon to see Tawaki here. Um, they do sometimes turn up in their molt, and that's a, a period when they're shedding all of their old feathers and growing in their new feathers. And they have to. They, it takes three weeks for them to do that, which is one of the reasons they have to get fat to do it. And sometimes they'll turn up during their molt and they're stuck in one spot for the three weeks. And we had one a few years ago that decided to molt at the St. Clair pool. <laughs> <laughs> Which is not I mean we're laughing, but it's like Penguin soup. Oh yes, maybe not. Like he's just on the rocks, just you know, just below the pool. Um, which I guess wasn't terrible, but it wasn't very sheltered. And it was, quite, it was quite exposed to people, which was, you know, poor penguin didn't really realize where it was turning up. It's never mm-hmm. been to Dunedin before. And unfortunately, there are some real numpties that decided that they wanted to go get selfies with the Tawaki. Um, so Doc had to move it to a little safer spot. Um, but, yeah, they do, they do turn up from time to time.
1: Let's talk about the physical characteristics of this penguin because, you know, you know we're familiar with our locals. How does this penguin compare?
0: It's somewhere between, uh, it's probably about halfway between a uh, korora, or a little blue penguin, and a hoiho, or yellow-eyed penguin in size. So if, if you look at the, the chart of penguin sizes, it's kind of in the middle. Um, so it weighs in at about four kilos as an adult. And next <laughs> next to a hoiho, so I'm quite used to seeing adult hoiho in hospital. Um, it looks so tiny and stumpy compared to a hoiho. I think they're so cute. Um, they're, they're like little rugby balls, kind of bigger than a rugby ball, but, you know, about that same shape, really. Um, and they they are similar in size to the snares crested penguin, which I think we've we've talked about those before, um, but they, and they're often confused with snares crested. They look quite similar um, because of that yellow crest that they have. Um, so that's that's a bright yellow sort of. Eyebrow stripe that starts right at the base of their bill and then goes almost all the way to the back of their head. Um, yeah, they're really just solid. They're not. If you if you ever had a chance to touch one, which don't do that in the wild, obviously, but uh, they're they're really solid. You know, they look like they would be tiny and fragile. They're not at all. Um, and they also have three little white bands of feathers on their cheeks. Now you only see those. Uh, they're only displayed when they're really angry or aggressive. Mm. Ask me how I know. <laughs> how do you know, Joanna? <laughs> because they're really angry and aggressive in <laughs> hospital, Jeff. Yeah, which is fine. We like feisty wildlife. Um, they are so, for us what I would consider a small penguin. They are full of sass. Um, Nurse Emily loves them because they're so sassy.
1: Uh, now, in, in general, that that is a good thing, right? Because you, because too much. Um, level of comfort with human contact, that's that's a big risk.
0: Absolutely. So they're they're really shy penguins. So they um they're not quite as they're not as shy with each other as Hoiho are. So they are they are somewhat colonial breeders, unlike Hoiho um this sort of nest in loose colonies. But yeah, with human disturbance is a real issue for Tawaki. Um that's that's actually been quite studied. You you if you're looking at them, you think, oh they don't mind that I'm here but inside their little hearts are just pumping mm-hmm. they are they are stressed by people and there are studies that show the landing areas so that's where they come come out of the water to go to their nesting sites those area those landing areas that are accessible to humans and have sort of like almost viewing areas though those uh tawaki produce chicks that are much much lighter in weight so there's obviously a stress factor there uh, influencing that the health of those those birds so they do not like to be around people um but the, you're absolutely right about the feistiness one thing that it it does put them at an advantage is with predators so Humans, obviously, um, but in particular stoats. They, they, these, this is a species that's really been quite devastated by stoats. Um, the researchers at the Tawaki Project have witnessed themselves stoats running off with live Tawaki chicks in their mouths. Mm-hmm. They can devastate a whole colony easily. Um, But they do fight back so that the chicks, of course, are extremely vulnerable. But the adults will put up a fight. And I think that's probably one of the reasons that they have survived stoats. Um, Tawuki like to nest in really rocky, rugged, remote, inaccessible, inhospitable places, which is great to keep them away from people in most cases. But it also means that it's difficult for people to trap predators like stoats in those areas that, that it's inaccessible to people inaccessible to trapping. So that's that's a bit of a catch-22 for them, unfortunately.
1: So how do they tend to be discovered and brought to the hospital? Is it dock workers? Is it members of the public?
0: A mix of both, yeah. In this case, the Ta'waki that came to us this week was a dock ranger, or probably was... Notified by a member of the public would be my guess. Um, and this one was at Atamoana. So in quite a public place, looking quite sad. This poor one is just underweight, um, just really poor body condition and had an old wound to his foot. So even to an untrained eye, this guy probably looked like he needed a bit of help.
1: Mm. Well, so we think about um, endangered animals often when we talk about penguins. What, where would you put this creature on the scale?
0: Yeah, they are definitely a threatened species. Um, it's an interesting question, actually, because the numbers of Tawaki out there are really hard to pin down. Uh, the previous surveys that had been done in the 1990s were actually mostly carried out by tourists who were essentially paying for the privilege of you know, being able to go and, and do a little bit of field work while they were here in New Zealand. And that's great, but that didn't necessarily result in a robust survey of Tawaki. You can imagine the, the fjord, in Fjordlands, the conditions are... Shocking, really. So you can imagine that, that people aren't necessarily as committed as, you know, if they're tourists, as as a, a proper science project. Um, so the the numbers previously estimated had been around 3,000 breeding pairs, and the Tawaki project, which is obviously doing a much more thorough job, um, thinks that it's actually much higher than that. It's actually much higher. But the problem is we don't actually have an accurate historical representation of what the numbers were, so we don't know if the numbers that the Tawaki project are finding are dropping, or you know, if they've dropped or if they've actually increased. So it's a big question
1: mark. So why is there a project?
0: Why what? is there a Tawaki mm. project? Well, I think that this, it's because there's so little known about these birds, mm. and they are really quite interesting, but nobody really had a good handle on what was happening with them. They weren't studied very well because, because of their um, you know, penchant for breeding in really inhospitable areas, and nobody really knew where they were going to forage. Nobody even really knew what they were eating. To be honest, they just weren't that studied, and they're pretty um, difficult to study. So I think that that's why they got really inspired. Really, again, recommend to your listeners to go and have a look at, at the Tawaki Project's website. They're really, really good at their communication and what they're doing and why they're doing it. Um, they've got a great sense of humor about the work they're doing and how difficult it is. So I just highly recommend checking them out.
1: All right, and just quickly a uh, reminder that uh, you know if we should be somewhere uh, on a coastline anywhere, we see an injured uh, creature, a penguin. In this case, but in in any case, any um, marine-based mammal, what should we or, or bird? What should we do?
0: So if you you come across a a sick or injured native animal, the the best thing to do is to call DOC. Mm -hmm. So 0800-DOCHOT, D-O-C-H-O-T. It's the DOC hotline. Uh, Let them know where you are and what you're seeing. It really helps to take a picture. If you don't know what you're seeing or you just want to try to explain, and if you can, drop a pin on your um, Google Maps so you get an exact location. Can't tell you how many times I've been called out (laughs) for wildlife response, and they say, oh, I'm on St. Kilda. What? That's a big beach. That makes
1: so much sense. Um, that's what all those things on our phone are for, that's right?
0: That's right. Yeah, so if I can get a GPS <laughs> coordinates, or you can send that to DACA, it really helps us get to that animal a lot quicker.
1: Fantastic. So interesting, as always, to learn about these wonderful creatures uh, that we uh, get to learn about on the... Uh, the uh, feature here, the creature feature, but also um, through uh, the great work of people uh, like those working on the Tawaki project at the moment. So, do check out that website and do, of course, support Dunedin Wildlife Hospital as well. <music>
0: The Wildlife Hospital Dunedin treats sick and injured native New Zealand species right here in the heart of Aotearoa's wildlife capital. Their expert veterinary team patches up more than 500 patients every year, returning the majority of them back to the wild where they belong. You can learn more about the hospital, including ways to support this charitable trust, at wildlifehospitaldunedin.org.nz. Or follow their Facebook page for more fabulous creature content. This podcast was produced by FM Dunedin with support from New Zealand on the Air.